Um, so the two things I wanted to talk about were, of course, Twitter file, files and then mm. chat GPT. Um, Twitter files, especially since it's apparently ongoing right now. Um, Twitter files part two. Interesting. So I have not really been following any of the Twitter stuff. Um, so it's basically all going to be news to me. Like a couple people have mentioned it. <laughs> Excellent. And I've, a couple people have mentioned it here and there, um, but I don't really know that much about it, honestly. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Well, let's uh, start the episode off then. Uh, welcome to the uh, 19th episode of the Midnight Stroll podcast. Um, I am Nathan, and I am joined by my co-host, Josh. Hey, Josh, how's it going? It's going uh, pretty good. It's good to be uh, back since we're so so great at recording episodes. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Oh man, this is our the good old days. This is our is this our first episode that we've not been sitting next to each other? Because most of the time we've always done it in the same place, in the same room. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the first time I think that. We'll have a, at least, especially live as well. This is the first time we're doing it live as well on Twitter spaces. Oh, yeah. That's pretty exciting too. Yeah. It's interesting. Should be fun. Yeah. So if you want to, you want to ever listen to us do this live, we'll probably do it every other Thursday, something like that on Twitter. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And then at end standage and at more reciprocity. Awesome. Awesome. Those are our Twitter handles. Cool. Cool. I don't. I, I I want to go um, and be. Let's see. Uh, de-anonymize my my Twitter account just so that I can, you know, I don't, I don't really like the anonymity mm. of it. Um, but I can't I can't justify getting rid of my my handle. I like it a lot, and then my profile name is just too good as well. <laughs> I mean, you could have two Twitters. <laughs> I mean, I do. I currently do, but I only use one of them because that's where all of my stuff I like to see is. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, should we start? What, what should we start off talking about? Did you Did you have anything you wanted to talk about today? Uh, yeah, but it's not as interesting. So let's do that last. Okay. So, um, so the two things I wanted to talk about was first off, um, well, not first off, but one of them was Chat GPT and how it's kind of taken taken the tech world by storm the last eight days. Mm. And then um, the Twitter files, which has been pretty intense the last like um, week and a half or so, I think. So both pretty recent. The Twitter files part two is currently ongoing right now. Hmm. It's flipping exciting and also really gross. Um, and then there's a supplemental Twitter files that I will also pull up and, and read some of it to you. So get your takes on it. So for people that are like completely uh, new to this, like myself included, what exactly are the quote unquote Twitter file files and why are they interesting? So Elon Musk, when he purchased Twitter, he promised that he was going to release everything they did that was shady publicly. 
And that's the gist of what the Twitter files is. So the way that he is doing it is he's given two journalists that are considered by him unbiased, um, who are good at, at doing stuff like this, and had given them access to basically all documents and internal communications that happened at Twitter. Is this for a specific um, Twitter files during a specific time or just kind of in general? In general, they have all access right now. Um, but the specific, the main thing of the very first one that they wanted to do is discuss how Twitter was involved in repressing the Hunter Biden laptop story oh. that that broke right before the election in 2020, and then was suppressed by Twitter before the election mm. as fake news or hacked news or all sorts of ridiculous things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was Twitter files part one, and and, and now. Elon Musk has basically said that they're they're trying to gain as much public trust in Twitter, the company, as possible by basically acknowledging all its past wrongdoings mm. and being clear and open in the future, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So um, the Twitter files initially, so there's, there's three things that have happened with it. Um, Matt Tybee is one of the uh, journalists, and then Barry Weiss, Barry Weiss, uh, I don't know if she's actually German or if it's just a German name. Um, she is the other um, journalists that currently have access. So Matt Tybee started it off, uh, let's see, December 2nd. Yeah, so yeah, just a week ago. And then <clears throat> they hosted a discussion about the Twitter files that broke. It was a space on Twitter, of course, and it had over a million live listeners at one point. Oh my gosh. Which is kind of mind-blowing considering Twitter Spaces is really buggy. (laughs) (laughs) Buggy enough that it's already crashed on my desktop. (laughs) Oh. Is that what you're using? (laughs) No, no. It's only, you can only, uh, like, talk and uh, host and, like, listen, or not listen, but be invited to speak on mobile right now and it's only recently android at all oh. it used to be ios exclusive interesting so, so kind of like how sorry go ahead can you listen on on desktop or you can oh, okay. um but obviously it's buggy because it's crashed once yeah, yeah um but it has a pretty a live uh accessibility feature that gives you a live closed captions which is pretty cool oh, nice yeah, um, it looks like, though, the desktop version is delayed by, like, a full 20 seconds or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, but we'll be able to see as people join. So did you listen to any of this uh, Twitter space that had a million people in it? Um, not live. I listened to the recording about, um, like, later that night. So the the live one that they did, the discussion, it had Elon Musk as a guest for... A short portion of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had some pretty interesting things to say. I only listened to a little bit of what he said, um, but it went on for five and a half hours. So wow. obviously, I didn't take part in in all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I wanted to share um, a couple things about Twitter files that he shared. So the guy, let's see if I can find. Yeah, Twitter files thread. It has three hundred seventy thousand likes. Um, it's it just goes on and on. So, I'll I'll read some of it, um, and then I'll kind of stop because it's it's like a thirty six part tweet thing. So it's a full on article, wow. basically. And who is this guy? Sorry. So he's 
Matt Tybee, I'll read his bio on Twitter. He is the author of Griftopia, The Divide, The Business Secrets of Drug Dealing and Hate Incorporated, and he is a writer on his own Substack, and he's an independent journalist. So he was one of the ones that Elon Musk deemed worthy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, basically. (laughs) Sounds good. I like that. Um, So he says, what you're about to read is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of internal documents obtained by sources at Twitter. The Twitter files tells an incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It's a Frankensteinian tale of human built mechanism grown out of control of its designer. So I'm going to skim it because he gets pretty journalistic with it because he's a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, So he basically says what Twitter planned on being, what its mission was, the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. And he says the the company failed its own mission. Um, Slowly over time, Twitter staff and executives began to find more and more reasons to use these tools. The tools were um, ways to suppress certain things, Mm. to combat spam and financial fraudsters. That was originally what the tools are for, but they moved it on and on. And then... He released a bombshell of an email that said in 2020 requests, he said in 2020 requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive in this email writes to the other more to review from the Biden team and the reply would came back handled. So the email shows several different statuses or tweets from, from different people and they were all deleted by, by this team. These were, and this was all. These were tweets that were deleted. Request, yeah, they at the request of the Biden team. Hmm. Um, so that's mega sketch, right? So yeah. Twitter internally, secretly was using, um, are doing the Biden administration's, uh, yeah, bidding. So the next thing that he shares is celebrities and unknowns alike would be removed or reviewed at the behest of political parties. So it wasn't just. Um, it wasn't just Biden's campaign that was doing it. The Trump White House was also doing it. And then he says, after he says that, he says, however, the system was not balanced. It was based on contacts because Twitter was and is overwhelmingly staffed by people of one political orientation. There are a lot more channels and more ways to complain open to the left Democrats than the right. Hmm. So he goes on to say, so this is the main story. The New York Post published a Biden's secret emails expose based on contents of a Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. Do you remember that story? The Hunter Biden laptop story? Yeah. Uh, Vaguely, yes. Probably in part because it was suppressed so much by social media that it wasn't a bombshell as it actually should have been. Yeah. Um, The gist of it, if you don't remember, or if our listeners don't remember, is that... um, Hunter Biden took his laptop into a shop to get it repaired. Uh, I can't remember if he forgot it there or if the person pretended that it was lost, but that person then got access to Hunter Biden's stuff and it introduced a bunch of sketchy stuff. Uh, The New York Post um, wrote an article expose on it. Um, We can link to that in show notes. I'll send, excuse me, I'll send that to you. But basically... Joe Biden, as vice president, gave Hunter Biden an opportunity to meet with a Ukrainian businessman and brought both of them a lot of money using his vice presidential powers. And the reason why nothing really came of this is because it was suppressed so much and everyone didn't really act on it either side. 
Um, anyway, the official White House spokeswoman, if you remember her, Kaylee McAnany. Mm, uh, if I said her name, name like Kaylee. Any bells? I, I just remember Kaylee. She was the one that was like uh, mega blonde, I believe, and wore a lot of makeup. Hmm. Um, White, White House spokeswoman. Um, she was locked out of her tweet for simply retweeting the the story. She was locked out of her Twitter account. And she, or the, a campaign staffer for Trump, tweet, uh, emailed Twitter executives and seething, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days, citing that she was locked out of her account for political reasons. Um, yeah, so he's, he's showing all these emails that went back and forth between Twitter and these people. And he outlines where the uh, corruption went, that it was without the knowledge of the CEO, Jack Dorsey, or the knowledge of legal and public policy trust, Vijaya. Anyway, pretty pretty messed up. Yeah. Uh, but everyone kind of knew this was happening. So for the most part, all of my followers on Twitter are like, well, we knew this was happening, but it's good to know we were right. Yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't just in our head. Um. Yeah, pretty pretty interesting, man. Um, so yeah, so what do you think about that? So that is really interesting, and I'm glad this stuff is finally coming to light. Um, do you think there's any like, is there any real recourse to this? Like, is there stuff that people can do, or is this more just like a <laughs> a this is interesting to know about type of stuff, or is anything going to actually like either legal or something going to happen because of this? Do you think? Well, this is illegal to do. Like it was a suppression of free speech by people bidding for the White House and current active members of government um, at colluding with a private company to suppress free speech. So it was illegal, but is anything ever going to happen about it? I doubt it. I personally think that um, nothing's going to happen because the Republicans are too spineless to pursue anything and the Democrats um are the ones that it benefited them the most so they're too afraid to do anything about Trump with it. Yeah, that that is interesting like <laughs> the idea because you know the whole thing is like oh well Twitter's a private company they can do whatever they want if they want to if they want to suppress all the republican stuff that's fine but the sketchy thing is them having worked with people from the White House or I guess people from Biden's um Biden's campaign I'm assuming um, which makes it way sketchier because it's like, you know, someone in government is having the speech or having people from Twitter silence uh, the opposition, which is yeah. super sketchy. Just just about political reasons, yeah. And the, the interesting thing is, is my brother shared with me at some point, um, and I I don't I'd have to do research to find out just how how accurate it is, but um, this the suppression of this story. Um, like a lot of people said that they would have voted for Trump if they had known about this story before the election. Mm. And so there is a decent chance that this suppression um, did influence the election. Yeah. But it's hard to say because there's a lot of data that would need to be sifted through and analyzed. And I don't think really anyone's doing it. People are just talking about it. Yeah. I, I, but. I know that uh, <laughs> Steven Crowder also has mentioned several times that there was a study that said that 
I don't, it was like 17% of vote, or Biden voters would have either changed their vote or not voted because of the Hunter Biden story. But it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to know because like in hindsight and also like people tend to say that they're willing to do something and then when push comes to shove, they don't actually do it. So it's, it's kind of like yeah. one of those things that's interesting and probably would have swayed some people, but we don't know how many and we can't say that Biden only won because of this because it's just too speculative or speculative I think at least to me like yeah I I agree with you completely um it's it's hard to say um what I would like to see that comes out of this which won't is I just I just want people to at least be fined for breaking the law mm. and the constitution you know it's it's pretty messed up that that there's collusion without public knowledge, you know? Yeah. But the, the funny thing that came out of this though. Um, so, so it was delayed initially. The initial Risa Twitter, Twitter files was delayed by like a few hours. And then they were planning on doing part two the next day or the day after. So two days later and it got delayed until tonight. So it's been a full like week and this last weekend, Matt Tybee um, tweeted saying, here's a supplemental to the Twitter files. Um, we expected to publish more over the weekend. Many wondered why there was a delay. One of the reasons why is on Tuesday, Twitter Deputy General Counsel and former FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was fired. Among the reasons, he vetted the first batch of Twitter files without knowledge of new management, a.k.a. Elon Musk. Hmm. So this guy... Elon Musk fired him because he couldn't give him a particularly good reason. I would read his tweet, but I don't want to look it up. Effectively, this ex-FBI counsel and the Twitter deputy of general counsel, ex now because he got fired, um, he was the one who was sending the, the files over to the journalists, and he was filtering them and editing them. So Interesting. <laughs> um this guy is well known for, um, let's see, his left-leaning bias. Hmm. Yeah, he's a controversial figure. He was something of a Zeilig of FBI controversies dating back as far as 2016, from the Still dossier to the Alpha server mess. He resigned in 2018 after investigating into leaks to the press was opened. Yeah, so the fact that he ended up working for Twitter after being a major sketch dude, yeah, pretty interesting. Hmm. Hit the, him reviewing the Twitter files surprised everyone involved, to say the least. Twitter chief Elon Musk acted quickly to exit him on Tuesday. <laughs> so it's funny information. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I haven't actually read any of Twitter files part two. I've read the first like two or three tweets. But it has to do with their shadow banning and blacklisting behind the scenes without telling anyone. Oh. And so it kind of really interests me. If you want want to read it, we can read it. Or if we want to just talk about what it would mean, it's up to you. Yeah, I'm up for whatever. I'm done for checking it out. Cool. Yeah. Well, talking about like talking about it on there, like the or looking at it. Yeah, yeah. Why not? We could just go through it. I don't know how much of it is live and how much is not. So I'll send you a direct message on Twitter with a link to it so that you can read along with me. That's good. Let me uh, sign it. <clears throat> yeah, so I'll just start reading with the first tweet. 
So Barry Weiss is the one who's, who's doing this one. She said, a new Twitter files investigation reveals the team of Twitter employees from build blacklists, prevent disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limit the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics in secret without informing users. Frickin' sketch. Twitter once had a mission to give everyone the power, blah, blah, blah. Matt talked about that. <clears throat> Stanford's Dr. J. Budacharya. I think I said that right. He argued, or she, I don't know. I'm assuming it's a he. Argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Twitter secretly placed him on a trans blacklist which prevented his tweets from trending. Pretty sketch. And he said, right-wing talk show host Dan Bongino at one point was slapped with a search blacklist. Means that he couldn't come up and search. That's messed up. Twitter set the account of conservative activist Charlie Kirk to do not amplify. I don't know what that means. Sketch, though. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Twitter denied that it was doing such things. In 2018, Twitter's Vijaya Gada, the head of legal policy and trust, and Kavyan Bekpur, head of product, said, we do not shadow ban. They added, we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideology. So blatant lies. Yeah, are you reading along? Yeah, yeah, I, I got to pull that. Yeah, you want to read some? Okay, what people call shadow banning, quotes, uh, Twitter executives and employees call uh, visibility filtering, or VF. Multiple high-level sources confirmed its meaning. Uh, think about vis- visibility filtering as being a way for us to suppress what people see to different levels. It's a very powerful tool, one senior Twitter employee told us. So it's almost like they have different, they have like a bunch of different, <laughs> like it says up here, like do not amplify is like, it's almost like that's like an attribute associated with this guy's Twitter account. Yeah. And the same thing with, uh, what was there one over here? Oh, search blacklist was another like flag on this other guy's Twitter account. So it basically hinders these Twitter's, Twitter's accounts from like just, I guess, natural, um, relevant, like going up and down, um, and stuff. That's, that, that was pretty poorly articulated but that's that's actually really interesting and uh, kind of sketchy um yeah there's actually a website for checking if you're shadow banned um, oh really i'll send you a link yeah it's some guy made it shadow banned at useriza how is that how is, is it like part of the api or something twitter's api i don't know if it's part of the api but i'm i this guy it has a bunch of information on it. So I'm not shadow banned in any way. I don't have any ghost ban, search ban, search suggestions, or deboosting. I don't have any either, but I never post on Twitter. So I can't even remember. Yeah, the last I have, time I I have some friends. <laughs> I have some mutuals on Twitter that I've seen them post this website showing that they are search restricted or, or some way shadow banned. Anyway. Hmm. Yeah. So this quote unquote visibility, um, Filter. What's it called? Filtering. It, it makes sense that that's that exists because you don't want bad actors being able to uh, abuse your plot, their pl- the platform, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it looks badly at the platform. However, the way that they were using it is very obviously they were the bad actor, right? Yeah, they were they were abusing their own tools for for political gain. Yeah, that's 
that's pretty sketch. And the fact that there is no transparency whatsoever that this was even a thing happening on an official level is even more sketch. So you finished off at 9 or 10, right? Uh, I think I haven't read 9 yet. Okay. I'll continue. VF refers to Twitter's control over user visibility. If used, VF to block searches of individual users to limit the scope of a particular tweet's discoverability. To block slick users' posts. Yeah, so that's exactly what we were talking about. I'm going to skip forward and skim a bit. The group that decided to limit the reach of certain users was the Strategic Response Team and Global Escalation Team, or SRT-GET, often handled up as 200 cases a day. That's a lot. Um, There's also a secret one that was rank and file moderators site integration policy policy escalation support this group secret group included head of legal policy and trust and ceos jack dorsey paragagwala where the biggest most politically sensitive decisions got made think high follow account controversial among another twitter employee told us for these there'd be no ticket or anything Libs of TikTok. Ah, here's where it gets interesting. One of the accounts that rose to this level of scrutiny was Libs of TikTok, an account that was on the trends blacklist and was designated as do not take action on user without consulting with zip pests. Flippin' sketch. And there's a screenshot of it. Oh, gosh. So do you ever follow anything from Libs of TikTok at all? Do you see her anywhere other than Twitter? I follow them on Instagram, I think. Yeah, I, I follow them everywhere. Um... She is fantastic. She All she does is just retweet insane leftist social media accounts, mm-hmm. right? And then she gives a little bit of a commentary on the background on it or what she thinks it means. And it's extremely, like, it's good to see. But the fact that they are shadow banning her is not surprising. She she holds the, the record for the largest number of uh, a single account that was temporarily suspended and then rein- reinstated. And it happened to her something like eight or 11 times. I can't remember which. Goodness. Just a, a huge number of times. Yeah, so... So, basically what she's saying, this uh, this lady, um, is there's there was basically two different groups. There was the escalation team, the SRT get, which was kind of the standard, like, review, you know sketchy tweets and stuff or accounts and like you can add these these kind of filters and restrictions to to individual people um but then there was like a higher up one like an escalated one called the sippes and they that was like had like jack dorsey and a a couple of other these people on it and so yeah the, the high profile people right okay okay yeah that makes sense. So libs of TikTok couldn't couldn't be touched except by this higher up group. Basically. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure because there's so many like little acronyms and stuff about this. It's kind of <laughs> hard to follow sometimes. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Let's see. The account which Chaya Raichik began in over 2020 and now boasts over 1.4 million followers was subjected to six suspensions in 2022 alone. Each time Raichik was blocked from posting for as long as a week. Wow. Who is this Raichik person? She's the one that, that, that runs Libs of TikTok. Oh, okay. 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 So Twitter repeatedly informed her that she'd been suspended for violating Twitter's policy against quote unquote hateful conduct 
in an internal SIPPES memo from October 2022. After her seventh suspension, the committee acknowledged that Libs of TikTok has not directly engaged in behavior that violates the hateful conduct policy. See here. There's the hateful conduct policy. Yeah. The committee justified her suspension internally by claiming her posts encouraged online harassment of hospitals and medical providers <laughs> by insinuating that gender-affirming health care is equivalent to child abuse or grooming, which, I mean, it is. Remember that to what happened when herself was doxxed on November 21st, 2022. A photo of her home with her address was posted in a tweet that garnered more than 10,000 likes. When Raichik told Twitter that her address had been disseminated, she says Twitter support responded with the message, we reviewed the reported content and didn't find it to be in violation of Twitter rules. No action was taken and the doxing tweet is still up. That is definitely against the terms of use. In internal Slack messages, Twitter employees spoke of using technicalities to restrict the visibility of tweets and subjects. Here's Yoel Roth. He's he was he made initially. I don't know if you know him. He initially stayed on with with Elon Musk. Elon Musk talked him up pretty good. He's he's great. And then he was let go. And I'm assuming it was because of what what came out of the Twitter files. Hmm. Um, but anyway, um, he said a lot of times. SI has used technicality spam enforcement as a way to solve a problem created by safety under enforcing their policies, which again isn't a problem per se, but it keeps us from addressing the root cause of the issue, which is that our safety policies need attention. Hmm. Six days later, in a direct message with an employee on the health, misinformation, privacy, and identity research team, Roth requested more research to support expanding the non-remover policy interventions like disabling engagements and deamplification and visibility filtering. I don't really want to read that whole long message they had. I just love research support, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so, okay, so that that's the gist of, of this week's Twitter files. It looks like the next installment's going to be through Matt Tybee. Yeah, so does that make you want to use Twitter more or less? <laughs> I mean, I don't really use Twitter, like, at all right now, so... <laughs> uh, I like where they're going with it and trying to be, like, more... Uh, more transparent and kind of get this stuff out in the open so we're aware of it. Um, but it's not like a platform that I have found super useful um, in the past, but I don't know. I have it installed on my phone. Every once in a while, I'll take a look at it, but nothing nothing too crazy. Yeah, it it looks like this. the tweet about libs of TikTok is current. She's still currently shadow banned. She just tweeted, the screenshot is trying current notice the date on the right side i'm still on a trans blacklist when will this be fixed at elon musk and he responded looking into it that's awesome hmm. this is her personal account or the libs of tiktok account libs of tiktok her she doesn't have a personal account she just goes through libs of tiktok hmm. yeah so elon just tweeted saying twitter's working on a software update that will show your true account status so you can clearly see if you've been shadow banned the reason why and how to appeal that's awesome that's some good visibility i like yeah, that yeah that's good <laughs> the former Elon Musk 40 minutes ago, the formal head of censorship at Twitter was perhaps not entirely unbiased. Yoel Roth tweeted, you are not the right kind of feminist backlash to yesterday's marches has begun. Did we learn nothing from the election? Yes. That person in the pink hat is clearly a bigger threat to your brand of the feminism than actual Nazis in the white house. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. The fact that oh gosh, Elon Musk is is exposing this insanity on Twitter is is so fantastic. That's interesting. Anyway, I think that's enough talking about actual Twitter itself. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about Chat GPT or your topic? Uh, we can do Chat GPT. I don't 
again, like cool. know that much about it other than Mike has been um, randomly <sighs> reading stuff to me. Oh gosh, Nate, how have you not used this? I can't believe that. This is like mind blowing levels of good. It's just chat.openai.com. Um, you should see if it'll let you uh, create an account. They've, they have in one week gotten a million concurrent users already. My gosh. Like it's incredible. They're, they're growing insanely fast. They're almost always running slow because of how many people are using it. Hmm. Like it's not even opening up for me right now. That's too bad. Um, so I have been using this almost every day, both at work and in personal stuff. And I've been driving my wife nuts with it. Um, basically, I mean, it's just incredibly good. Like every time I ask it to do something specific for me, it does a really good job. Brielle has used it to, to so my wife has used it to uh, turn in essays for school <laughs> that it wrote. <laughs> That's that line. That's how. Obviously, she heavily edits it so that it's um, the meets all the requirements because it's it's still not perfect, right? You can't just be like, write me a two page essay on this topic, and it will get you sources and stuff. Like she still finds the sources, provides it to Chat Chat GPT, and it includes those sources in the tweet. Because I mean, in the in the in the responses, she she tried it once without asking it to try to find sources, and it literally just made up quotes from people. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> Can you explain like what exactly GPT is or chat GPT to people that don't know? So GPT, I don't remember what it stands for, but it's, it's basically an AI chatbot. It's designed to be conversational and it's, it's been built by the open AI team. Um, so they've, uh, they've been doing a lot of crazy stuff for a while, but it's, I don't remember specifics other than this instance. I know they did other stuff, and and they've been very impressive um, for a while. The, Mike would probably, my brother would probably know a lot better the exact specifics of what they've they personally have been involved in. But they've been a pretty big name for a while. Hmm. Um, this is just basically showing off how incredibly good they are. Um, because I mean, it can literally code too. Like I've had it build components with with uh, Svelte and javascript functions and it's working code too like it, it works the problem is is that sometimes it's in incorrect in sneaky ways where it takes forever to debug why it's wrong like if it, you're having it do coding for you mm. to the point where stack overflow actually uh says you cannot provide answers to questions generated by chat gpt <laughs> interesting because there are people who are who are answering a ton of questions to try to boost their their points. Oh yeah. Um, by having ChatGPT generate answers to topics they didn't know anything about. That's kind of annoying. It is a little annoying, but it's really funny too. Um, so yeah, one of the one of the use cases I've been using it for um, is rewriting. Like so, so I'm developing the website Save My Past, and it's I, it's based off of you write a prompt or it presents you with a writing prompt for, for writing a personal history or a journal entry. Mm-hmm. And then you write an answer to that. Right. And I'm really bad at coming up with prompts to supply the users. Right. And I'm using chat GPT to give, I give it a basic prompt and I say, expand on this and add additional questions. And it corrects my grammar makes it more correct. And then it gives me a ton more interesting things to, to do. Hmm. It's, it's like genuinely useful in certain situations um, in other areas, it's not quite as useful. But 
If I could sign in, I would do some demos, but unfortunately, oh, is it working now? Yeah, it's still not working. Yeah, I like Mike has been reading stories that he's had generated by it, um, which some of them have been just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess the thing for me is I don't really know what I would use it for. I have used it to explain AI con or not AI, coding concepts to me that I'm not fully understanding. So, for example, RxJS, like I have struggled to understand it. The documentation I think is kind of terrible at explaining it. And I use ChatGPT to give it to me in human terms, and I understand it now. Hmm. <laughs> like it, it helped me learn the difference between observable subjects and behavior subjects, right? Because hmm. before I didn't, I, I couldn't quite understand. Now, it explained that you know a behavior subject is a type of subject and a subject is a type of observable. It's pretty cool. It's pretty impressive. So I actually got it pulled up on my phone, so it's not working on, on my computer, but um, what, 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 what sort of thing do you want to ask it? And we can demo it a little bit. Oh gosh, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I have actually used it to generate a list of meal ideas. I've had it use it to give me a recipe for certain, like a cinnamon rolls and, and just random stuff. Like it's, have you? It, it's pretty dang good. Have you cooked the cinnamon rolls? Um, it was basically the recipe my wife ended up using. Yeah, oh. like it was barely any difference. Hmm. She just included orange juice to make it an orange cinnamon roll. It's not very good at extremely specific things. Like you couldn't ask it. Um, like it's not Google, right? Yeah. So it's not going to just pull up a Wikipedia article for you or things like that. Um, but. For for random stuff, it's incredibly use like knowledgeable. Hmm. Do you just have it like on a browser on your phone, or is there an app for it? Uh, it's just a browser, chat.openai.com. Hmm. So I'm going to ask it, who is Brigham Young and what did he believe, and see what it comes up with. Uh, let's see. So it says he's an American religious leader. He was born in 1801. He was a prominent Mormon leader, an instrumenter in development of the Mormon movement. Known for his strong leadership and organizational abilities and was a vocal advocate for the belief in plural marriage. He died in 1877. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's technically accurate. Hmm. <laughs> um, but I, mean, it, it's, I think it, it, it gets most of its usefulness from, like, rewriting things for you or generating a list of ideas or, I mean, it, it's... I don't think it's particularly great at helping with coding um, or programming as much um, just because it's, it's as good as the average coder is. And so it's, it's below average. It's like, it's not great mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like it's an expert. It just, it can help. I, I, I think it's an excellent tool to help learn ideas or research ideas or get ideas themselves, but not to become an intermediate or even an expert in any, any one thing. But you can like straight up, just have like a genuine conversation with it. It's that it's like that. It, it feels like you're talking to an actual person, the way that it responds. It's impressive. That is interesting. So can you like with the conversation stuff, I guess I don't really even know how it works, but do you like open a quote unquote session almost like, Almost like when you uh, have a customer service person and that like they open a portal for you and you just chat back and forth that way or yeah yeah so it's 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 it looks like a messaging thread where you you send a message and you receive a response and then you can reset the thread so it can learn from the thread itself and give you contextual answers 
So like you can be like, tell me about this, this, and this, and then change the subject and then change the subject again and then ask it about the original subject and it will continue off where it left off. Like it's interesting. Very good. And then you can reset the thread. So one, one use that you can do is you can be like, write me a prompt. You know, I'll just ask it. Write me a prompt where Joseph Smith talks to Brigham Young about baptism. <laughs> Joseph Smith, Brigham, we must discuss the importance of baptism for our faith. Brigham Young, I agree, Joseph. Baptism is a crucial part of our beliefs as it allows us to wash away our sins and become clean in the eyes of God. Joseph, exactly. It is the, through baptism that we are able to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and become members of the church. Brigham Young, and it is through the power of the Holy Ghost that we are able to receive revelation and guidance from God in our daily lives. Joseph, absolutely. We must make sure that all of our members understand the importance of baptism and make it a priority in their lives. Brigham, I couldn't agree more. Let us work together to teach the importance of baptism to all of our members and help them understand the significance of journey towards eternal salvation. And then you can then continue and say, have an anti-Mormon interrupt the conversation. And it'll continue and say, Joseph Smith, Brigham, we must discuss the importance of baptism. So it's rewriting this prompt, but it's also having someone interrupt it now. So Mm. I agree, Joseph, baptism is a crucial part of our belief anti-Mormon. You both are misguided. Your so-called baptism is a farce and has no power to cleanse anyone of sin. <laughs> like it's, it's impressive. Like you could generate full on like stories. That um, honestly, you could probably tell it to, to write a book for you and read along as it tells a story. That is super interesting. Yeah. It's, it's it, pretty funny. It almost sounds like a, uh, uh, like a old cheesy seminary video where like, the dialogue is basically full of exposition. Like they're just explaining something to each other when they already know it. It's like, it doesn't sound like a real conversation. (laughs) Exactly. So one of my things that I really want to use this for at some point is if I ever give a sacred meeting talk, I want to use this to write a talk. I don't know if you saw Michael's post on Facebook, but he, he asked it to write him a sacred meeting talk about whatever i don't remember what and it wrote something that sounds like an average member would give it over the pulpit like it was genuinely a an okay talk it wasn't amazing it wasn't awful it was okay but it was like accurate to the doctrine and stuff like that so like it understands it's not sentient by any means but it understands um context right really well really really well yeah I'll, I'll need to yeah, look into I, it. I, I need to look into it um, when it's a little bit less You, you definitely do. <laughs> uh, it might be a long time, and it might end up costing money soon. Right now, it's free for research purposes, um, but I suspect it's going to end up costing costing some money at some point. Yeah, I could, I could definitely. Because, I mean, Elon Musk tweeted at the guy asking how much it costs per search or, or something like that, and the guy responded with it's something like uh, eight cents it's costing them about eight cents a, a query or something like that. Oh my gosh. So it's, it's the, they're, this is a lot of money going into this research. Yeah. Wow. I mean, didn't Elon Musk start OpenAI? Holy crap. I think he did. I think he, I think he did. <laughs> <laughs> if he did, oh, that's hilarious. I can't wait for Tesla's to use this. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Founded in 2015 by Altman Musk and other silly Altman Musk. Oh yeah, Elon Musk, a guy named Altman. 
Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, Elon Musk, go go him. He's made everything that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his pedigree of companies is pretty amazing. Yeah, I can't believe how good this thing is, and knowing Musk is at least part of it, part partially behind it. I mean, he gets the best engineer, so that makes sense. Wait, OpenAI is also the one that does Dolly too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Wow, yeah, man, so they, they're the, kicking they're, butt then. My gosh. Yeah, like, like this is pretty flipping impressive what what they've done. All right, anyway, do you have a what was the topic you wanted to talk about? Do you want to continue talking about this? Um, I do you have anything else to say about it? I don't really have. Cause I haven't used it, so I don't like. I want to. I want to mess around with it a little bit. Um, but do you have anything else um, to say about it? Yeah, the essay that my wife submitted to school got an eighty-two <laughs> percent, and ninety percent of it was written by this this freaking Chat GPT. Oh, that's incredible. And it only had two percent on the uh, um plagiarism role so it was like 100 it was 98 percent original do they give you did they give her those like statistics or i guess uh percentages like as part of her school does great yeah but i also wanted to check before we actually submitted it to her school uh um so i used grammarly's plagiarism detector and it also rated at two percent so um yeah her school rated at two percent and let her know and it was it was a a very, it was like literally just one sentence. It was something ridiculous that it shouldn't be marked as plagiarism because it's a very common phrase. Mm. But it doesn't matter because anything below like ninety percent, schools don't even acknowledge. Okay, I just had something really quick, uh, just because this was the most. This was all I could think about that kind of related to our podcast. But um, I wanted to talk about my experience with using Android. Um, oh, that's a good idea. Because I've been using like it this. for about, I don't know, a couple of weeks now. Um, so, yeah, and I, I don't. we have not talked about it. I mean, we've discussed it over text some, but not like in person. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I've always been like a hardcore Apple fanboy, um, and, but just wanted to give Android a try. So I have I had an old uh, Pixel 4a um, from like just some other development stuff that I had been working on. I needed an, a cheap Android phone, so it all comes through the lens of that. Um, it's not completely equatable because I have an iPhone 13 Pro, so they're not apples to apples mm. by any means. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> but uh, at least uh, there's a little bit of background. So the first things. Um, uh, I'm surprised for one at how <clears throat> just kind of familiar it is. Like it just, it's just like using a phone, you know, like phones are because they're just, you know, they're, they're becoming, there's differences obviously, yeah. but it, it's just using a phone. I'm just using a different phone, but it has all the same stuff. I can, you know, all the same, a lot of the same gestures. And so there was, there was no real like quote unquote learning curve other than figuring out how to use settings. Um, and some of the, stuff that I'm not completely um, like knowledgeable about um, but uh, yeah it, it was pretty seamless honestly um, switching which I was actually kind of surprised I felt like I thought it was going to be more different than it actually ended up being um, so that was like just one 
overarching thing. Um, things that I like about Android that I wish came over a little bit more. Um, I do love the customization aspect of it. Um, I'm not like mm. a huge customizer, quote unquote. So I I downloaded the uh, like Nova launcher, and you can like change Nova launchers launcher. nice. and kind of how it works. Um, which is just interesting. Like I was able to get rid of that side like news thing that I didn't really yeah. want. And uh, um, the the biggest thing of custom customizability, whatever it is, um, was when you told me to change the milliseconds. Uh, it waited before popping up, um, like the the keyboard stuff that, on the keyboard, um, which yeah. was just such a weird thing to me because I was like, wow, this is really foreign because <laughs> Apple would literally never do this. <laughs> um, but I found it yeah. really useful. Um, I also love how the keyboard has that, at least on Gboard, I guess, um, the thing, the little button on the right side that is like a hold and drag to different like punctuation. Uh, oh, it's the, it's the period. So you can t- hit a period it's just a dedicated period button, but if you hold it, and I have set mine really low, it's like at a hundred milliseconds or something. Then it pops up yeah. like a bunch of other like all punct- the punctuation you might need. Yeah, and so it's great. So I don't have to memorize yeah. exactly where they are. I just hold and swipe up if I want like an apostrophe. I swipe to the right if I want a question or mark. Swipe to the left if I want an exclamation uh, point. And so it's just really easy. They're all right there, and I just have to remember how long to hold, which is not very long, and then which way to flick my thumb. And then it just kind of works. So I actually really like that, and it was, I've gotten pretty used to it as of now. Um, Honestly, I need to get more used to using that since switching back because I still to get the percent sign, I keep hitting the 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 symbols and then the other symbols oh, button to get to the percent sign. Yeah, yeah. When it's in that menu. <laughs> yeah, there are some. Obviously, there are some things that are not in there because all all of them can't be in there. But the ones that are most right. often used are in there, which is nice. Um. And the main thing that I really like about it is just some of the apps that um, there are. One of them in particular is just that lock me out one that basically just lets me set up a schedule. And um, so I have it like I can use like any social media platform for about five minutes and then it'll lock me out for an hour and a half and I can't use any of them for an hour and a half, which is great because I can open them whenever I kind of want to. Um throughout the day like that's the one thing about ios is that once it locks you out it like locks you out for the entire day um and so i can use Mm -hmm. it for 10 minutes in the morning and then you know basically what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to minimize just like getting sucked into a social media network or platform like it happens a lot with like instagram or youtube especially and these other things where you just start scrolling and then you just lose track of time and you're scrolling for an hour and a half and you're like where did all this time go um so this one will lock me (laughs) out and so it kind of it uh um what's the phrase it uh uh, nips it in the bud. There we go. Nips it in the bud. Uh, <laughs> nips it in the bud. Before yeah. it goes, before I get any further, which is really nice, and I can just set it up exactly how I want. I can't just forget about it for an hour, like on iOS, where it just says, "Just type in your passcode, and we'll let you in for another hour." It's like, no, I don't want to be in for another hour. I want you to just <laughs> lock me out. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's. It is really good. Um, I I use the app Digital Detox. I might try Lock Me Out because Digital Detox is obviously not really been touched for a few years. Mm. 
it still functions as it should, but it's ugly as sin, mm. and it's not designed for the apps aspect ratio my phone is. So oh. there's like weird bars and weird spots. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's been insanely useful getting me to go to sleep mm. by one in the morning every night. Because mm-hmm. I'm not just sitting on my phone browsing YouTube or reading random stuff. Like, as soon as 12.30 rolls around, it locks me out of everything but my scriptures and messaging apps. So that, like, if I need to, I can talk to my parents or my wife. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. yeah, it's been nice. Yeah, lock me out is great because it basically just you just set up a bunch of rules. Like you basically say this rule, um, if I use these apps for this amount of time within this time frame, then lock me out of these apps for this long. So if I use Instagram, oh for that's an, awesome. If I use Instagram for an so, hour, I can lock me out of Instagram, Facebook, the browser. Um, it can, it lock me out of all different types of things and they can kind of overlap and interchange. And so like YouTube is set up differently. So like, uh, the social media one, like the Instagram one, if I use it for five minutes, it also locks me out of YouTube, but I can use YouTube for 20 minutes, but I can't do it right after I used Instagram because it'll lock me out. And so there's just a lot of little rules. Um, one of them, I just have it locked me out of a lot of stuff, uh, basically from 11 o'clock to, seven o'clock in the morning just so like it just helps me get ready for bed so i don't like get lost and something and so it just locks me i can't basically use much of my phone um, at least the time wasting apps um so yeah it, it's been a great app i've really liked it and that was kind of the main reason i wanted to try android was just to check out the kind of just the different app styles and stuff like that there are some other interesting apps on there too um Honestly, I can't even really think of them, and I can't open my phone, or else uh, w- Twitter will crash again. <laughs> it crashes. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of good stuff. Also, uh, widgets are way nicer, or at least way more functional because you can interact with them. Yes, it's fantastic. I've been using uh, yeah um, Todoist, and their widget is uh, it's like a, basically every to do apps widget. But you can scroll through the list, you can tap off items, you can, you can change yeah. the list all from the widget, which is great. Um, they are a little bit buggier, but I do like how you can kind of resize them um, to kind of where you want and kind of push them into yeah. little corners and little things. So I have a bunch of different stuff like that. So overall, just the flexibility um, of it is nice. Like just being able to set up your own workflow and you're not just using one specific workflow like like Apple kind of yeah, for ecosystem real. thing. The, the one thing that I am using, I'm, so I'm using the default Samsung launcher, um, mm. but... Because it's, it, I actually like the visual design of it, mm-hmm. and I haven't wanted to sit and customize like Nova Launcher to look as pretty. Mm. Um, and plus, it's not as functional with my folding phone. Mm. Uh, Nova Launcher is, yeah. So that's that's like a must, as I want that. But um, one thing, if I if I didn't have a folding phone, I would use an app called Sesame to give myself my phone. It's it's like a spotlight search functionality, mm. um, as good or better than Spotlight Search on iPhones. And you can you can set up the launcher to automatically open it when you swipe the same way you would on an iPhone, right? Um, that was actually the one thing that made switching to iPhone so easy back in 2020 was that I had already set up a spotlight search like functionality on my Android. Mm. <clears throat> now I just have the Google bar, and the Google bar is basically as good as spotlight search. Yeah, I. I have the Google bar at the bottom. I have it set to DuckDuckGo, which is nice, actually, that I could change that. Um, and yeah. 
actually, I do have it where if I swipe down from on the at, on the home screen, I do get a like an app search, um, and oh, actually nice. a Google search too if I want, um, because that's basically how I've used Spotlight. The one thing I wish that it had was a dictionary. It like on iOS, I can swipe down and type in a word, and it will give me the definition of it. Especially, I've been reading a lot more, and so sometimes I just need to look up a word. And uh, yeah. Android does not understand that, and so I had to download an app, um, or I guess like I just could have Googled it, but. Yeah, you should look into the Sesame app because you can use you, it. It adds just more power to a search. Okay, and I'm sure you'd be able to set it up to that. You only swipe down it opens open Sesame instead. Yeah, um, but it you can have it do file searches. You can have it do definitions. You can have it open up specific apps. It, apps. It's pretty pretty powerful little tool. That's actually um, really but, cool. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is have you discovered the app Sleep as Android? Uh no, um are you are you the type of person that hits snooze on your alarm clock a lot? <laughs> no, I just turn my alarm off. Okay, sleep as Android is is the thing that I missed by far the most when I switched to iPhone because there's literally nothing like it on iPhone. Um, it's an alarm clock app that tracks your sleep and it can use sonar to track your sleep with high frequency that you don't hear. Really, wow! It's actually pretty cool. Um, and then on top of that is it. You can ha- you can set up what they call captchas, um, ways ways to have to turn off the alarm, things that you have to do. So you can like choose. You have to recognize like there's there's a ton of mini games to do. Like some of them require you to like stumble around while holding your phone. Another one is that you have to scream obscenities at your phone. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But the one that I use is just a simple barcode scanner, and I have a barcode on my desk, and I have to take my phone into it and scan it. It doesn't let me turn my phone off while the alarm's going off. It doesn't let me restart oh, it. Yeah, okay. As soon as I'm out of snoozes or anything like that, it completely locks my f- myself out of doing anything to my phone in order to turn off the alarm. Okay. So it's it's fantastic. I'll have to check this one it's out. Like, it's like, it's seriously so good because it, I mean, it gets me out of bed in the morning every morning at the same time. So it's like helping me build a schedule better. Yeah. I, um, I have downloaded one i it's just like a general basic alarm app because okay one thing i don't know why whoever designed the clock app that has like timers and stopwatch and alarms <laughs> for google decided to make the timers so massive it's like you can have multiple timers <laughs> but they take up like 90 percent of the screen and so it was really bugging me so i downloaded yeah, another dumb. one and that one the alarm app has like uh, you can like you have to walk around so it like tracks your steps um, in order to get the alarm to turn off. So I have downloaded That's that one, and it is nice. It doesn't track my sleep though. This one's kind of uh, interesting. Um, I'll, I'll have to check this one out. Yeah, sleep, sleep is Android. It it has like snore detection, so it'll like if you start snoring, it will make a sound and bug you so that you stop snoring. And there's a bunch of other random stuff built into it. That's cool. Um, the guy, it's the developed by the same guy that developed the digital detox app that I use, but he's still actively developing Sleep as Android. It's not like the prettiest design one. It kind of has like the traditional Android style, mm-hmm. so like the kind of dorky, blocky, nerdy style. But it, I mean, the the graphs alone are pretty fascinating because it'll give you like your breathing rate, and if you have a wearable that it can give you like your heart rate throughout the night mm-hmm. and 
your sleep schedule and all that, all sorts of stuff. Like it's, it's impressive. I really like it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I do like being able to have multiple timers and stuff. Um, and things like, um, like being able to replace like very basic things like the alarm app, where if you download another alarm app from iOS, it's kind of useless because it doesn't take over your whole phone. It like sends you a notification um, and little things like that has been kind of nice and fun to mess around with. Um, yeah. So Android is pretty impressive how powerful it is. I mean, think like, so Samsung, they, they're kind of the Apple of Android where they have apps that they don't want you to be able to delete off of your phone. Mm-hmm. Like the calendar app on my phone, it's, it's required to keep, and it gives me notifications and I can't turn the notifications off. That's and so I have to turn off the calendars that sync to it. But I was looking into it today, and because it's running Android, I can theoretically plug it into my computer and run a command line code, uh, uh, command, and it will delete the calendar up off my phone in spite of what Samsung tried to lock it in with. Hmm. So, like, that's, I mean, that's the main benefit is Android is like literally, if you can think of it and you know how to do it, you can do it. Whereas iPhone is pretty locked down. But yeah, I mean, we already knew that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about the differences. But I mean, I, I think I'm coming to realize that Google is just full of develop, terrible developers because I remember the Google apps on Android being way better developed than they actually are. Mm. Like moving to iPhone, I was able to recognize just how bad they were compared to everything else. And then moving back to Android, they're still the worst apps on my phone mm. that are like developed by a professional company. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, they're just so buggy. So that, I mean, I've switched completely to to Outlook. Interesting. Um, I did it on my iPhone, and I actually really liked it. And then I switched when I when I used Android. I tried good Gmail again for a little bit, but it's just buggy. It's bad. It's a little lug- laggy. It takes a while to load. Whereas Outlook is very nice. Hmm. I actually use With, Spark. I don't still, know because they have Spark on Android. Oh, you do? So I just use that. Do they really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder. If it would be worth using. I'm I'm coming to really like the way Microsoft develops their apps, though. I use a lot of them. Yeah, I used uh, I used um, since they don't have my beloved OmniFocus on uh, on Android. I've been using. <laughs> I used uh, like Microsoft Tasks for a bit, and then now switched to Todoist because mm-hmm. I need a little bit more power, and it still isn't 100 yeah. percent there. There is no app that is like OmniFocus on Android, which drives me crazy, but. Um, it's, it, 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 it gets the job done with some kind of little bit of hacky setup. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's, yeah, but overall, like I like it. Um, some of the cons, I'll just go through them kind of quick. One of them is just like what you said that the, just the general polish is just not as nice as Apple just in general, like all the, I mean, this might just because I had a, a better phone, but like just the animations and some of the scrolling and also the uh just like the layout like for some reason apps like will get cut off like because the screen isn't just completely square like a monitor it's kind of got rounded edges but so many so many apps just have it cut off apps are not designed for that it just looks bad a lot of the times where apps just kind of so just overall, the general aesthetic is just not as polished as Apple, just in so many of the things, like some of the gestures. One of them that bugs me is if you're in an app, you can swipe, you know, from left to right, which is on in Apple parlance means go back. go back, which most of the time works well. But if you're on the 
if you open an app and then swipe back, you go back to the home screen, which drives me mm-hmm. absolutely crazy. Because a lot of Apple apps, it will open a menu. If there's like a hamburger menu, it'll open that menu. Um, but that doesn't oh, gosh. that doesn't work in a lot of these apps, and so I just end up going they, back to the home screen. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about a time when this was very first reintroduced. Gestures were first introduced to Android. Before gestures were introduced, it would open on almost every app a menu to swipe from the side. And when they introduced gestures where you could use swipe from the side to open back, it took developers so long to implement better menus in on Android. I remember swiping to try to open a menu in one of my apps that I used all the time, and it was like 60% of the time it would quit the app because it would recognize it as back rather than open the sidebar menu. And it was it was so bad. That I, I think that was one of the things that actually contributed to me switching to to and, uh, Apple in the first place because mm. this was around 2008 through through 2020. It was it took I mean forever for it to get back. I think most people now use gestures on Android, so I haven't come across anything like this since um, any bugs like that. But goodness gracious, when when Google decides to do something big to Android itself and they implement it, it takes so long for app developers oh. to implement it. Unlike on Apple, things are so fast. Yeah, that that's true. It's it's very you know, I listen to a lot of Apple podcasts and they're very much like people want to get the, if they're good, they want to get the new features like day one and yeah. Everything is like they're they're testing against <clears throat> the betas and you know, they have all, it's like a whole really, if you're like super into the Apple community, like I am, then it's like there, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And that, that's kind of the thing. Like, I feel like Android has a lot of really, really like amazing features and customizability and like the functionality is great. The main thing is that it's not as polished. I haven't found any apps that like really make me smile like anything's just like wow this is like an amazingly <laughs> made app because i'm so used to like the amazing apple apps that i use um yeah um so that's like kind of the main drawbacks that i found it's just kind of slightly less polished and slightly worse in a lot of ways except when it comes to like the customizability and having like apps that just do crazy stuff um so yeah, it's, it really is a, it that. really is a trade-off and <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how long I'm going to stick with Android. Um, it's been fun to mess around with, um, except iMessage has been an absolute wreck. I cannot get my parents. We cannot have a full family chat. It just one person never gets the message. It's either my mom or my dad. Um, yeah. And so we might have to switch to like Telegram or something for our family stuff. Um, yeah, I've... I had a, a group chat with my wife and my two nieces on iMessage. Mm-hmm. And when I switched to Android, it continued sending them through iMessage and I never got the messages. Oh, yeah. It's like for some reason, my nieces and my wife's phones did not recognize that I was no longer in iMessage phone number. It was weird. So we had to create a new group chat with me in it. <laughs> and then it recognized it. But it was, I mean, I've been, I've been, my Twitter mutuals and a bunch of people have been complaining about how buggy iOS 16 has been for them. And it's so sad to see because I, iPhone, it was never buggy ever. Yeah. Like that. I mean, that's why I switched. Right. I, I remember just like telling you, like it's been so buggy that I might as well just use Android and have a foldable like I want. 
Yeah, and that, that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to try it is because I was having so many like really annoying bugs. Like, because some bugs you can kind of just get used to, but some of them were so like one of them. You know, the new focus or the new home screens. You can create custom home screens um, yeah. on iOS. It keeps recreating home screens, like making new ones that are super basic and generic. So none of my widgets, my home screen widgets are there. Just like every day, it will just create a new one and it will move to that are one. I've deleted it. I've recreated them. I've deleted all of my <laughs> custom ones. Like one time I didn't use my iPhone for a while and I opened it up and there were like five. They were all the exact same and I just had to delete all of them. It's so... It's so frustrating. And then the what? the other one was um, my I use Tidal instead of Apple Music or Spotify for my uh, music. And so if I'm playing something on Tidal, I pause it with my amazing uh, AirPod AirPods Pro two, two. Um, which have like you can just volume and stuff on them, which is amazing. I pause it, and then if I hit play again, it doesn't play Tidal; it plays Apple Music. And so oh, if I'm listening pain. to Tidal, if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm listening to like YouTube in the background, it will, I have to open the app and hit play again, or it will just default to playing Apple Music, even though I haven't played something from Apple Music in a while. So just like little things like that were just, they weren't just little bugs. They were ones that really interrupted my workflow and the, what I was doing. And so I was like, you know what? I've always kind of been semi-interested in Android um, and like testing it out for reals. Cause I've always like, you know, been aware of it but i've never actually used it and had like personal experience with it yeah. so i was like you know what? let's let's give this a try so yeah i i really honestly wonder what your experience would be like if you had a flagship phone rather than a flagship budget i i, I wouldn't i don't think i'd ever recommend f- samsung's to you unless you're interested in a stylus or a foldable but like if i i was looking at the new pixel 7 pro and the stuff on it is impressive. Have you used any of the, do, do you even have access to like uh, call screening or anything like that? I do have call screening. Yes. Jealous. Cause that's one thing I am missing on my Samsung is like call screening and the Google like assistant stuff is very <coughs> impressive on pixel phones. The one thing that I do love about this phone though, is how small and light it is. Cause it's all plastic. It's tiny. And it's so like cheap because it was like it was like a three hundred and fifty dollar phone like a couple years ago, and yeah. my current phone was like twelve hundred dollars or eleven hundred dollars. So just like it made a stainless steel, yeah, yeah. And so it's so <laughs> light, and I can just throw it around. Like I don't, it's not waterproof, which kind of sucks. So I, I have to be yeah. really careful if I bring it into the shower. But like I just don't have to think about it in the same way that I thought about my my nice, you know, my nice because Apple's products are, I mean say what you want about Apple, but their hardware is absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah. And so you feel... It's high-quality luxury items. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. feel like you're holding a luxury item, and so um, you treat it like that, and it just slowly kind of... It, it's something that you're always aware of, even if you don't think about it. And so just having this super cheap, super light phone that I could just kind of throw around has been really nice and something that I've actually really enjoyed. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my foldable, I, I, I recognize that idea of it being premium, and I don't want to break it because it's an $1,800 phone mm-hmm. new. So, like, I don't, like, with my iPhone, it, it in my mind was so durable that I would toss it everywhere, oh, except yeah. on hard surfaces, mm-hmm. right? I would never toss it on the ground. I, but I just get out of the shower, I grab it from the, the kitchen or the bathroom vanity, and from across the room, I just throw it at the bed, and it didn't bother me. Whereas my foldable, I am so careful with it because I do not want to break it. So I think 
I wouldn't be surprised if I end up just continuing to buy cheaper, older foldables now. Because, I mean, this one's a year old. It cost me 600 bucks. It's pretty dang cheap for a foldable mm-hmm. and a year old at that. So, like, it loses its value like insanity, which is another sad thing about Android. Having a cheaper device and knowing you can replace it for cheap is probably a huge, a huge thing. I think that's like what you said is that's probably something to think about for my next phone whenever that is probably year and a half or my wife will make fun of me mercilessly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to like de- debate what I want to do. Like, cause I really do like some of the, cause I don't know. I feel like I'm getting to the point in my life where I'm trying to really focus on what I like want to focus on and kind of get rid of a lot of other things. And one of the things that I'm like kind of getting rid of in my life is like an obsession with technology um, and so I'm mm. starting to treat my phone more like someone treats a toaster where it's just like, it's a thing that does things and I use it to do those things, but I'm not precious about it. Um, it's not like you're like super excited for next, next, uh, Cuisinart toaster to come out. Yeah, exactly. And so like all of the stuff that the, the iPhone has like the, you know, 120 Hertz display and like the, just a lot of the, the features and stuff and then a nicer camera, like they're all really great. Um, but I don't like need that per se, especially because I'm trying to use my phone less and less. Hence all of the lock, the lockdown stuff. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know. Like I don't know what I want to do because there are some really great benefits with using iOS, but I've also found some really amazing benefits w- with using Android. So I'm just kind of like kind of torn wow. because they both have really great features and some really like really great things. I'm just like this is super annoying. I wish that I could have more customizability with Apple. Basically, if Apple added uh, interactive widgets and better like lockout stuff, then it would be a no-brainer. Those are like the two big things. Um, <laughs> well, um, if you were to switch to a newer, like the newest Pixel budget line, I'm pretty sure it has a 120 hertz display now. Mm. So, I mean, that was one thing you mentioned that the iPhone has that your phone doesn't, so... Yeah, that's that one's not like huge. (laughs) The main things I miss from iOS are one of them is OmniFocus. um, Yeah, and uh, iMessage. Those are actually the oh, and uh, honestly, my podcast player, like Overcast, the one of guys from my podcast. It's 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 the best. It's the best podcast client I've ever used. The one, the best one that I found is called Pocket Casts, and it's still. There's yeah. certain things about it that absolutely drive me insane. I'm like, why did you guys design it like this? It's so frustrating. Yeah. Pocket Cast is what I used before I switched to, to I- iOS. Um, now that I'm back, I just use Spotify. Mm. Just because uh, I don't really like having apps that do a ton of different things, like a different app for a different thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the fact that Spotify is now a good place to get podcasts and they do a good and okay job at integrating it and my music, like it's fine. It works for me. Yeah. Yeah. I I can see. I mean, if I I didn't use them for music, it would suck for podcasts, but because I use it for music, it's good for podcasts. I mean, I could like the pixel seven or the pixels. I mean, I don't want to buy a phone. I'm not going to actually buy one, but (laughs) the, cause I love this tiny screen, like the pixel pro, the, the hazel color is awesome. It's like a, like a, like a foresty green gray and then gold, which I think looks nice. But the screen is massive, yeah. and I love how small this it's phone like, is. 
Yeah, I mean, you probably would have absolutely loved the 13 mini, the iPhone 13 mini. Yeah, actually, like that, that is true. size was amazing. I'm actually really, really liking my foldable because when it's folded, it's smaller than my. I mean, I had the 13 Pro Max, so it was freaking oh, monstrous. Yeah, that's huge. Did I ever tell you about the the change in weight when I switched to the 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 Fold Three? No. So the 13 Pro Max is freaking heavy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone talks about how the foldable phones that Samsung makes are un- like the the actual folds, not the flips, are insanely heavy. It was literally 10 grams heavier than my iPhone. Maybe 20. I can't remember, but it, it, it was literally negligible. So I switched phones and I got the, the fold in my hand and I'm like, I'm used to this weight. Hmm. It's just narrower when it's folded and wider when it's open. But it's like the same height as my iPhone was, but it's narrow when it's folded. And so like, I, I immediately was used to this full phone when I got it. Um, and then having, I mean, the display on this is better than it was on my iPhone, but only slightly so it's, I'm actually happy with with how good iPhones displays are because I did when I switched back in the day from the uh, what what phone did I the 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 Note 10 to the um, the 11 Pro it was a noticeable degra- degradation of display quality mm. like it was good because the 11 Pro had the OLED screen right oh yeah it was like their first phone that had OLED mm-hmm. but my 10 note 10 had the, the OLED screen. So it was like, yeah, but I was wondering if it would be a difference going back to Android. I mean, everyone rates Samsung displays as by far the best. I mean, they're the ones that make iPhones displays for them, mm-hmm. right? Everyone buys Samsung displays cause they're so good. So everyone's like Samsung keeps their best displays for themselves. I don't know if I really notice a difference too much in the quality but it's still it still amazes me how good it is. Like Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I think that's probably a about time we wrap this up. It's getting a little long. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Uh what's the uh I, I think we should wrap up with the temperatures. What what's the temperature over there, uh, do you know? Uh I have no idea. Let me check. I, I'm now curious about doing this, not because it's a quirky thing that we do on the podcast, but because we live so far away uh, from each other now. That's true. That is true. <laughs> Let's see. Eagle Mountain, Utah. Apparently it is 19 degrees outside. Oh, fetch, man. That, it's 22 up is here. Is that true? Holy crap. That can't be true. I mean, it's been it's been freezing the last few days. I don't think... Uh, it got down to like six degrees the other day at night. Well, the app, the so. the weather thing on my phone says twenty four. Uh, DuckDuckGo says nineteen. Let me go to Google actually, because Google is probably more. I wonder which one's more accurate. Okay, I wonder if DuckDuckGo's one is like integrating uh, something weird. So yeah, I, I'd say about twenty three. What did, what did you say yours was? Twenty two, according to Google. Okay, so just a little bit colder. Uh, thirty minutes ago. Same. Actually, same with so mine. It's not even. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> it's been really fun. I think it was. I mean, I'm excited to see more about Twitter files and continue to see where ChatGPT goes. Yeah, no, that's some really and find really out what, what you end up doing with your phones. Yeah, we'll have to find interesting things to talk about next time too. I'll. Well, I will. Cool, uh, cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll end up ending here in a second. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and. I mean, let's just say goodbye. Sounds good. I'll talk to you later.